Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. I have a good group today to talk about the 12th verse of the Tao Te Ching. We've got Tina and Brian and Drew and Oscar and who knows help who knows else will pop in. Any resources that you may be interested in or if you're new to the podcast, go to buddyc.org. We've got a resources tab that's got a lot of things there. We've also got a daily devotion. If you'd like to sign up for that, it's totally free. Emails don't go anywhere. There's no marketing with this other than sending you the email that has a daily devotion. Uh, that uh, I'm taking all of the uh, I'm taking all of the different texts that we have and putting those in a into a a daily devotion with a quote many times a second quote and a thought and then a thought and an affirmation associated. Um, all right, let's see. I know we're on the twelfth verse. Who has a translation they would like to read, share with us today? I've got Stephen Mitchell. Okay. Colors blind the eye, sounds deafen the ear, flavors numb the taste, thoughts weaken the mind, desires wither the heart. The master observes the world but trusts his inner vision. He allows things to come and go. His heart is open as the sky. What do you think about that? That that last line is might might be my favorite just single line in the whole book. His heart is open as the sky. Uh, I just remember reading that for the first time and just picturing that image of just the sky being able to hold everything and have room for everything and doesn't care what's in it. There's room for everything in the sky and just bright and blue and um, just beautiful. And if my heart could be that way, then I know I'd be in a much better place. I just really like that image. You think the sky is looks that way the whole time? We just perceive it differently when we're not open hearted? Oh, yeah. yeah. Whenever there's clouds and storms and all that. On the other side of the clouds, the sky still looks the same. It does. The sun is always shining. Mm-hmm. Yes. Any other versions? I have Jonathan Star, Jonathan Star's translation. Yeah. Can I read it? Please. Like, uh, <clears throat> five colors line the eye. The five tones deafen the air. The five flavors dull the palate. Racing, hunting, and galloping about only disturb the mind. Wasting energy to obtain rare objects only impedes one's growth. So the sage is led by his inner truth and not his outer eye. He holds to what is deep and not what lies on the surface. Hmm. The master acts on what she feels and not what she sees. This is MacDonald. She shuns the latter and prefers to seek the former. In other words, 
She asks him what she feels, not what she sees. Buddy, <clears throat> I've got the uh, I've got the, the Derek Lynn that I, I really like this week. It says the five colors make one blind in the eyes. The five sounds make one deaf in the ears. The five flavors make one tasteless in the mouth. Racing and hunting make one wild in the heart. Goods that are difficult acquire make one goods that are difficult to acquire make one cause damage. Therefore, the sages care for the stomach and not the eyes. That is why they discard the other and take this. And there's some commentary here. It says Derek Lynn wrote caring for the stomach means focusing on one's basic needs and living life with plainness. Caring for the eyes means acquiring even more sensory stimuli and more eye candy. Thank you, Brian. Comments, guys? I'll go ahead and read my interpretation of this. It, it's a lot of the same, but it applies to recovery and how I saw it relate to mine. I, I entitled it, Turn the Light Around. Data overload can cause confusion. Hearing too many loud sounds can cause deafness. Too many flavors can cause the taste buds to dull. Chasing excessive wealth and fame only confounds, never satisfies. We only hinder our progress if our quest is outward. For this reason, the sober ones guided by their intuitive inner voice. They are not concerned with the external. They let go of what is without instead surrendering to what is within. Yeah. What goes for what, what's not on the surface. And there's a fish analogy to that too, Oscar. The, from the, I think it came from the Chonsa, where the, fi- the the moral of the story was the fish that stayed in deep waters didn't get caught. <laughs> when they started going up and being concerned with what was outward of where they were, that's when they got in trouble. But as long as they stayed in deep waters, and that reminded me of that. He holds to what is deep and not what lies on the surface. Maybe some of the same thinking there, because if we're always looking out here, I know from experience that's not going to give me what I'm looking for. I, I can never have a time when I set a goal that I reach that goal that I did not immediately look for another goal. <laughs> I was not done because if I'm looking outward, it's always that way. And I can recall some that were enjoyable achievements, but they were always a little hollow, if not very hollow. It was always, okay, now what are you going to do? It was never, okay, I'm done. It's never that. I'm never done if I'm looking outward. And the whole point, I think, is for us to learn to surrender to this life now so we can always be at that place of rest and not have to have that angst of looking outward for these things that are not going to satisfy us. Buddy, for for me, it's like I get into that cycle of trying to prove to myself or or to some outside person that that I'm okay. If I do this, then I'll be all right. Or if I get this, then I'll be okay. And man, it never works, whether it's achievements, stuff. It never works. Zeros on a bank statement. It's all an inside job, unfortunately. (laughs) 
which is difficult. Fortunately, or fortunately, Brian. Fortunately, yeah, fortunately, yeah, yeah. Because if it wasn't an inside job, there's no yeah. way we could find. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I take it back. Yeah, yeah, but that that inside stuff, man, that's the hard work there. That is the work. Yeah. I've shared this before. I remember the first time that I ever knew that money was not it. I was young. I was maybe 30. And I was fussing at my soda house. And I was fussing at my wife because I couldn't keep all the zeros correct in the little checkbook. It was too many zeros for the line. And I'm like, what am I fussing about? I caught myself. I'm like, <laughs> I thought that if I had a little bit of, and this we're young living in our first house it was it was a long time ago and i thought if i ever had a little bit i thought this would make me a little happier and it didn't and i, and I had a little glimpse right then that it wasn't the money that was going to do it for me that was a red flag but yeah yeah it, it's always an inside job yeah any other comments the parts about the colors and the sounds and the flavors and just seeking the best and seeking more. The image that I get is in our neighborhood, there, there are a bunch of little, it's lots of little mom and pop shops. It's a, there aren't any big national restaurants or anything, but lots of little mom and pop shops, places, cafes, diners. They've been here for forever. And then there's one section of the neighborhood that's exploded and they're brand new bright lights and places that are on Instagram and um, they post their drink menus and the drinks have just tons of different ingredients in them and the ingredients in the food. I've never heard of half of them and they're just built to suck in the people who are just so attracted to the new thing, the best thing, the the most flavors, the mo- the brightest lights, the the coolest decor, the coolest people, the prettiest the prettiest people in there. And every now and then, one of our friends will want to go to one of those places, and we suck it up and go. We we prefer the little the little nondescript places. And I'm just miserable in there. It's just so much overload for me. Just so much, so many of the colors, so many of the sounds. It's just always so loud in there. And the flavor is just so much, so many things contrasting with each other. And the people in there just taking pictures of everything, taking videos of everything. And I, I hate it in those places. I just really do. I, I prefer the little simpler places. And that's just, what that reminds me of is the, the people chasing the next best thing, the thing that everybody else is chasing. They want to get the attention of being there first and and all that. And I just, that's not the place for me anymore. Used to be. I used to want to go to those places and get the, get all that input and get the attention from having gone there and all that. But, those days are behind me. Thank you, Drew. Anyone else? Can I read Ron? Is it Ron Hogan's translation? Yes, Sight obscures, noise deafens, desire messes with your heart, the world messes with your mind. 
a master watches the world but keeps focused on what's real. I think if I would have read that first, I would have lost a lot of what I got from hearing you guys read the other ones. I love ending with use like the shortened ones, or I, I really like Ron Hogan the way he just sums it up. But it also reminds me of that story about the vinegar tasting buddy. I think of that a lot and how I'm not going to try to retell the story, but it makes me think that the sometimes things doesn't have, sometimes things are just what they are. There doesn't need to be all the rigmarole around it. And there's a simplicity in that and a, that gives me a little bit of serenity. I get that feeling of serenity when there's not so many things to manage, so many things to think about. Or it's about, for me, to just being in the moment, being in the moment. And I love this. I absolutely love this verse. Thank you for got all of your interpretations so far. Thanks, Tina. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, that I think that first stanza there is really about, uh, and Stephen Mitchell, I think, says it for me, that the desires wither the heart. You know, the thoughts weaken the mind, the desires wither the heart. And this is about desires. It's about what we desire, what we think is going to make us happy, what we think we need, what we, all those, all those plans, thinking that those things are going to pacify our fear, really. Because anytime I act out with those things, I'm trying, I'm thinking there's something I don't have that I need, or I'm protecting something that I don't want to let go of. And that happens to me, especially when I'm in, in the middle of a of an addictive pattern. When I'm using every day, it's it's always all day, every day. And I'm just constantly desiring, feeling any way other than what I am feeling or desiring keeping the feeling that I just got and just focusing on on myself that way all the time i know literally withers the heart probably literally withers the heart really affects my heart physically but metaphorically of course also takes away my ability to be there for others to love myself even just that that constant craving of either wanting to keep this one feeling going forever or wanting to get away from what I'm currently feeling doesn't allow me to just be in the present moment and think of others and love others. Thank you, Drew. What is that thing that I've been sober a while, but a lot of times I'd like to change how I feel. I can't do that with, you know, I can't do that with alcohol anymore, but I'll, Go do something exciting or go do, used to, I'd ride the curvies on my motorcycle and ride that same set of curves over and over and over again. There's something wrong with that. When I'm searching out some way to change, I used to buy a lot of property at auction and man, I loved it. I got that excitement, that whole deal going. That was a substitute for that. I've got to look for ways I still look outward 
for satisfaction because just because I'm not uh, uh, partaking of my drug of choice doesn't mean that uh, there's not still work to do. And that's what I think this is talking about. Maybe talking about taking it to another level. In my opinion, it's telling us that the truth, you ain't going to find truth outside of yourself. So you ain't going to find fishing outside of yourself. So you can go, of course, you can go to auctions and do auctions and buy houses and sell houses or go to a soccer match or go to a holiday in Tuscany and go fishing on a nice lake. And we can do all kinds of things. And, and of course you can do, but you're, you're not going to find truth there. You're going to, you're only going to find truth inside. Like here and now, like here in the, in the sense of inside and now in the sense of now. And that's the only place where you're going to find it. So whatever you do, and if you're only focused on what is outside, well, then you're going to be blind and deaf and you don't have no more taste in your, and you have not, your everything is directed outside, but you're blind and deaf and any, and everything so you have actually nothing until you go inside and be there and that's where you find inner truth and that's where you find probably direction for your life if you, if I relate this to addiction that's the path I had to go from outside or everything directed outside blind death I had to go inside and, and see the truth of where I had to go. Yeah, something like that. Thanks, Oscar. That's good. You know, I was thinking while you were sharing, not only do we get blind and deaf to what's going on out here, spiritually, we're blind and deaf too. If If we're caught up in just all this external stuff, we can't see. We can't see what's there. Because we are not going inside. So if you're only outside, then obviously you're blind and deaf for the inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was a, what? There was a uh, I think it was Alan Watts quote that Oscar reminded me of. The, and I'm going to mangle it, but something like the only piece you find at the top of a mountain is the piece that you bring with you. <laughs> so if... If you're expecting to go to to go somewhere like a mountain or a lake or the ocean or forest or whatever, I love going to those places. It's great to go on vacation, but to expect to to be transformed into somebody different than who you are, that's not going to happen. I always like that quote. That always resonated with me. It's beautiful. Thanks. Thanks, Drew. So how do we do this? How do we make that turnaround? We're waiting on you, buddy. Tell us. Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 know, I know for me, when I get that, what I, I think I told y'all about my nickname, Eeyore. Man, when I get in that mindset that, that the glass is half full or even a third full, man, I get tunnel vision and I just start spiraling down. And, and, I, I struggle with depression, and, and it's, it's hard for me to pull myself out of that. And there's times that I'll just do, I'll just do little things to try to 
distract my mind. And I'm not necessarily saying they're unhealthy things, but last weekend I was in a pretty funky mood and I've got a, a big cabinet out here in my garage that's just full of stuff. And when I, I thought I'm going to organize that cabinet, the going in there and making everything nice and neat and clean just gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling. And I was just looking at all this stuff I had. Why do I need three bottles of glass cleaner? There's no need for that. And so I was really made me think because I was actually sitting here thinking about TV. I don't know why that popped into my head, but I can remember growing up, you only had a certain amount of channels, what, four or five channels? And what was coming on, that was it. And it's now I don't watch a lot of TV, but I can turn it on. And I've got a gazillion different channels, programs that I can watch whatever I want to watch. But there's nothing that I want to watch. There's nothing that interests me. So I'll just find some mindless crap to numb out with for 30 minutes or an hour. And I can remember I grew up with my grandparents and Dallas was coming on. That was a big deal. And and it was going to be like Saturday night. And it was like everything revolved around that. And I'm sure somewhere there's all the Dallas programs that I could go and get on the TV right now and, and, and watch them. So it's, it's more is not always better. That's a good quote, Drew, about the, about the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. The master observes the world, but trusts his inner vision. He doesn't trust what he sees. The master acts on what she feels and not what she sees. Master watches the world, but keeps focused on what's real. Therefore, the sage is guided by what he feels and not what, not by what he sees. He lets go of that and chooses this. He allows things to come and go. His heart is open as the sky. Now you mentioned the, Tina, you mentioned the vinegar tasters. I won't go through the entire story, but the essence of the story is that when Lao Tzu, who was attributed with writing the Tao Te Ching, when he tasted the vinegar, he smiled and just said, it's vinegar, it's how it's supposed to taste. Acceptance of what is, like you were talking about. And if I'm out seeking all these things, I I can go on a vacation from a place of peace that I'm just going to enjoy with gratitude. Or I can go looking for something that I don't have, don't think I have. I can take the same action and it be from two different places. It's, are we working off a foundation of fear or a foundation of love? Because a lot of decisions we make are fear-based decisions. If we're not careful, we'll hold on to some of that as we work through the program. And the whole goal for me is to move from the fear-based decisions I used to make, which resulted in dishonesty and resentment and selfishness, or move to to more of a love-based, compassionate living, whatever names you want to put on it, uh, being helpful, the whole idea of moving toward, am I a giver or am I a taker? <laughs> what, am I here to take or am I here to give? That's really the essence of if we come into every situation with the idea of, you know, how can I be helpful in this situation? 
we'll start seeing our motivation change. And I, for me, that is how I open my heart. That is how I choose to let things come and go. I quoted it a couple of weeks ago, I think, holding the world with an open hand. I think it's the same thing. When he allows things to come and go, his heart is open as a sky. Surrendering to what's within, right? Always comes back to surrender. It does for me. But, but Brian, I think that's what the third step. What is the third step? I got to look it up. How does it start? Because it came to believe that. No, that's our second step. Made a decision. We made a decision. Made a decision. Made a decision. Made a decision. All right. Thank you. Over our will and our life. Yeah. Over to the care of God as we understood God. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Understood God. God. See, that's just a decision. That's not turning your will and your life over to the care of God. That's a decision to do it. I'm deciding this is what I want to do. It's back to the three frogs on a log and one decides to jump. How many is on the log? Three. Because he just made a decision. Doesn't mean he jumped. So. For me, it seems the rest of the steps are showing me how to turn my will and life over to the care of love. The rest of the steps, that, that's what they're all showing me. They're all pointing me to what I decided to do in the third step. And this verse is saying the same thing. It's saying what you're looking for is not out here. And what you do when you start desiring and searching and grasping and trying to get these things, you're blinding yourself, you're deafening yourself, you're you're numbing yourself, numbing the taste, because looking out there and getting more and more is not going to satisfy that desire. It's not going to satisfy that fear. And then we're told what to do. We see it, we notice it, we observe it. But we know there's something different going on. That perception is not real. And then we turn to our turn the light around. Then we start looking within. The way I do that is with meditation. Meditation helps me. The time I spend meditating helps me with the rest of the day to try to do the same thing. If I'm watching TV, Brian, I try to keep my attention on watching TV and not on my phone. That's a way of meditation while bringing myself to the moment. Even when watching TV, I can do that. Same thing with driving. And I'll be driving and my head's off somewhere and I have don't know what I've done for the last 10, 15 minutes. I'll bring my attention back to the road. What do I, how do I sit in the seat? How do I feel the steering wheel? You know, what am I smelling? Those things that can bring me back to the moment. But all of this is bringing me Back to right now. He allows things to come and go. We see things more as they are. This comes and then we let it go. Uh, it reminds me of the, the Taoist quote about if we, if we hold too tightly to what we have, we cannot grasp the new thing that's coming because if we don't let go, can't grasp that new thing if, if we're grasping what we have. And if I'm ever having trouble with that, I just open my heart to who can I be helpful to. And in some ways, someone will show up in my path or I'll think of someone or I'll 
some way that I can get out of my head, get the attention off of me. And that's how I start to turn the light around. And, and through working the steps and talking to my sponsor and doing the things that, you know, that I'm told to do help to continue to turn all of my care and my will uh, over to the power of love. That's the way I look at that. It's interesting. When I choose to do something compassionate, I feel better. It starts changing me. And I don't understand that. But if I keep it right there, without having to figure the rest of it out and just do that in successive moments, everything else takes care of itself. Have y'all experienced anything like that? Or how do y'all, how do y'all get to turn that light around? That's how I do it. Yeah. Doing things compassionately for others certainly helps. And it only helps if I'm doing it without the expectation of getting something in return. If I just walk by my girlfriend while she's working on her laptop and put my hand on her shoulder, just something simple like that. Um you know, just, just something that simple helps unless I'm expecting her to respond in some specific way or even respond at all that I, I, I do get in that mode where uh, I will consciously, yes, okay, I'll do something nice. I'll do something compassionate for somebody, but also expecting to get something in return, getting gang recognition or getting reciprocation something like that it feels good <laughs> when when somebody reciprocates or recognizes something but it, it feels more sustainable and more satisfying if i'm able to just just do the thing and be happy with having done the thing or said the nice thing or even refrain from doing something harmful if i can just do those things and, and be totally fine with it and not expect anything from somebody else not expect an outcome then that's the one thing that i can do to get myself out of the slump or pull myself out of the doldrums hey drew you'll know too if you're doing things from self and you're expecting in return you won't do those things for very long because that just needs mm -hmm. to contribute to the problem <laughs> because you're still looking outward because you're taking an action wanting an outward response. Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting how when we touch the love that's in somebody else, then we're touched. We make that connection. We make that connection because we're getting back what we're giving every time. And it's not a hundred percent pure, probably for anyone. I mean, maybe I can't speak for anyone. For me, uh, there's always a, it's always a percentage. Some of those mm -hmm. things get over to a hundred percent. And those are the ones I don't notice that I do. But I've had times when people have asked me about something. I said, Oh yeah, I did. But because that was become, that's becoming my nature, but it's not that way all the time. Cause I'll find myself do things. I said, they didn't. Whoa, wait a minute, buddy. <laughs> then I have to look at it a little closer because uh, it's a progression. It's a practice. Anyone else? Me, there's 
actually the, the strange thing that this is all about uh, the the first lines are about, about the senses about eyes and ears and so on and but the real problem is in my head so that's that's where the the enemy if we talk in this kind of fight war analogies that's where the enemy is and uh, i lose it if i'm not aware and i'm not witnessing myself anymore then i lose myself in my thought and then i lose myself in goals and then i go outside my head and then i go find and then i go fight the world and strive for success and money and prestige and all, all everything you can imagine and when i go back and when i witness it and i go back and then i go back by breathing just looking at what is back to breathing touching an, something nice my wife or an animal or a child or one of my children or just taking a book and reading some lines and contemplate on it but there there is a kind of quietness always what helps me slowing down really extreme slowing slowing down watching around walking slow when i go crazy in the supermarket i the only solution is walking slow walking slowly that's where the solution starts so that's because you asked how do you turn the light is getting in a kind of slow motion in now yeah really now thanks oscar that's good thanks. There's nothing wrong with being successful in business or having money or any of those things. The issue or is those things having you. That's the issue. It's easy to get in to this thinking and think that I need to give everything I have and live in a tent somewhere and just meditate all the time or something of that nature. But for me, it I've taken some steps back, but. If those things don't have me, if, if that's part of the path, then it, it will appear. It will show itself how that's to work. So yeah. you can work your way. It's hard to put into words. All of life, I think, we can handle in the same way where we're this open-hearted person, ready to be helpful. And for me, opportunities just show up in my path. People will call me about something that I haven't talked to in years. They'll offer an opportunity or something. Well, I've seen those things happen. I've seen them happen for years and years, but I was fighting the whole time and not, I thought my fighting was contributing. It really wasn't in hindsight. Hmm. So those opportunities still come along and I can choose what that's learning to be the, passerby like we talked about prior in a few chapters back verses back be the passerby in our life how do, how do they say it the master observes the world way yes wu way wu way yes that effortless effort showing up doing your part and turning it over brian i, I found a new translation of that as empty effort Empty effort. Does that make, does that ring resonate with you guys? It did with me because it's effort from a place of emptiness of me. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
got that Oscar from the Jonathan Starr from his translation of Wu Wei. Yes, W U W E I. Is that right? Uh-huh. Wu Wei. Yes, it's holding the world without open hand. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. Allowing things to come and go. <clears throat> Three of the things I do, especially in a meeting, and I've talked about this, I open my heart to each person there. I send them each person love. I send them each compassion. And then I ask, how can I be of service to that person? And while they're reading all the things that we read, that we read every time, if I'm unsettled in any way, I'll do that. And then I'll end up doing that sometime during the whole meeting. Sometimes it's to everyone at one time. Sometimes it's going around the room to each individual person and doing this, going around the room three times or one time with each person, but doing all three things. It just varies. But I found this worked in physical meetings. I was doing it before the pandemic. Then I found it working in the squares. If I'm thinking, if I'm in my head, if I'm in that first verse, blinding myself in some way, whoa, wait a minute, buddy. This is not about you. Open my heart, my heart to each person. I just slow it down like you were talking about, Oscar. Yeah. Any other comments on this before we close? Hi. Um, uh, Tina again. Thank you, buddy, for this meeting. It's awesome that you still do it. And Brian, I wanted to thank you for talking about your depression because I struggle with it as well. And even though I know I'm not alone, it's always nice to be reminded of that. And um, it is hard for me to get into the moment when I'm when I have this veil of thickness over me. It's it's I will go lay in the grass with my dog and just try to be in the moment and try to look at the trees and be in nature because that's where I feel closest to my higher power. And sometimes it's just really hard to get there. But I have to believe it's part of my journey. It's part of me. Maybe I'm supposed to be doing the hard work now, just going through the motions until it becomes easier later. I don't know. I also like knowing that the only thing that's real is now. The past isn't real and the future isn't real. And if we are constantly living in the past or the future, we're not living in what's real. We're just letting life pass us by. I try to remember that and know that the only thing that's real is now. It's not the things in my head. It's not the dread. It's not the that veil I was talking about. It's in the moment and it's the only place we can be in the, and Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about that's the only place we can be without anxiety and worry if we're fully connected with our senses in the moment. Cause we're focusing on those things, much like focusing on where I may have be, where my, where I may have be of service to others. That also can bring me out of the moment. But also I just wanted to end with this quote that I love by Jim Carrey, actually. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And I think there's a benefit in that, especially for people who have obtained everything they've ever wanted, because then they can turn around and say, wait, this isn't it. This is what everyone thinks, but not everyone's going to be able to have that experience. 
And it's so hard for me to learn something unless I go through the humility of it or I only appreciated my freedom back in 2014 when I went into rehab for 35 days. And I, I did ever since then, I think every day on my gratitude list, I am grateful to be able to do what I want to do, go where I go for a walk if I want, because we were so controlled there. But I can't, I can't experience something unless I go through it and feel the pain. And I wish that weren't true because I've learned a lot of lessons that way. But it's how I've learned the best. It's hard for me to take someone's word for it. I don't believe you that pan's hot. I got to see for myself. So I've, I remember being little and I got in, not in trouble, but I shut my finger in the door to see if it would hurt. And my mom came in and she's like, why are you crying? I just, I have to go through it myself. To, to learn that lesson. Did you do the same thing, Brian? I, I learned all my lessons the hard way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the best way, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But I love this topic. Great meeting. Thank you all for sharing. Thanks, Tina. Thank you, Tina. And Brian, you guys talking about your depression. I, my days of that are getting less. I had one this week. I find if I just get up and start doing something instead of laying in the bed or on the couch and just start moving. If I can do that, then it gets better. I started playing pickleball with a group over here and it's helped me because it gets me out in the mornings to go do that at least a few days a week and yeah, it, just something to get me moving uh, really helps. Yeah. It does. One of the worst parts for me about when I go through a depressive phase is you gave that quote last week about the intentions are there, but the efforts are poor, something. A quote from the 30s. Um, oh, yes. From BC Kitchen. Yeah. What was that? But. The concept being that when I'm in a depressive state, I know I have the thought that just being kind to somebody, just being nice to somebody, doing something nice for somebody would help, but I just can't muster the strength to do it. I know what would help. I know what would be good for me. Um, but when I have the opportunity, I just don't do it. And I know I'm not doing it, and that makes me feel worse, <laughs> which which keeps me locked into the depression. Um, and that's, for me, one of the worst things about being in that state is knowing what will help and having the opportunity to do it and just not being able to do it. And like you said, one, once I can get out of my head, once I'm, I am physically doing something, once I am with people and making it not about myself, then that does help. It's just getting out of that cycle. Just sometimes it goes and really no rhyme or reason for why it ends, but it always ends when I do finally get, get out of my head and start doing, doing nice things for others without expecting something for myself. Drew, I found the quote. This is VC Kitchen from I Was a Pagan. I had put God first in theory, yet still continued to mean and do badly. 
that was because I was trying to run my own life. I had to not put, I had not put him first in living, but I kept my self-love uppermost and had built my scheme of things quite upside down. When I turned things around, however, and put God at the head of the list, when I ceased struggling to pull myself up and stepped out of the way so that his light could shine down to me, when I let him show me how to use the individuality he'd given me to accomplish for myself or humanity and for him the things he wanted me to accomplish, then for the first time in 40 years, things of consequence began to happen in my life. Yeah, meaning well, but doing badly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. When when I'm in a when I'm in a depressive state, I I know that I am meaning well, but just but doing badly at putting it into practice, which of course makes me feel bad about myself, which keeps me in a depressive state, which makes me less likely to do those things. And oh, by the way, there's nothing wrong with counseling. Nothing wrong with medic medita- medication as prescribed. All those things. If you have problems with depression, I would definitely seek out counseling. I have, and and I'm currently on an antidepressant. There's nothing wrong with those things, guys. Don't think just because you're um, seeking sobriety that you can't use medicine as prescribed in a under the care of a physician. So mm-hmm. don't my that's my opinion. So I, I would definitely look into that if it's something that's kicking your butt. There's help for that. Yeah, there's no shame in it. No, yeah. none whatsoever, Drew. Thank you for saying that, buddy. Not enough people in recovery say that because it's a confusing. Sometimes it can be confusing. I wanted to just, while Oscar was here, <laughs> I wanted to talk about an experience I had at a restaurant in Italy a Michelin star restaurant that was the most amazing food. So amazing. We went back the second night, but there was no music and the lighting. Okay. So drew the way you were talking about the new restaurants and how loud and so in your face, but this restaurant was the best meal I ever had. There was no music in there. And I think in Italy, I found a few places like it just, it was very simple. There was just like the old buffet that they just had their, little setup service station on it just the quietness got me I wasn't used to eating out without a loud in your face things going on is that a and it allowed me to appreciate the food more I think mm-hmm. and maybe why it tasted so good but do you find that more often that that maybe restaurants around you are more calm or was that a fluke Oh my God, I don't know. For me, for me, it's the same. If I go looking for a restaurant where they have great food and there's no music, or if I go looking for a very wild restaurant, the, my mistakes is in the looking for and thinking that's where I get happy. If I go looking for a life in a tent and meditating the rest of my uh, days, because I think then I will be happy, then I'm in on the wrong path. But personally, I like simple food the best. Yeah, simple. I like simple food the best, and Italy is very simple food. So yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but you. I thought that was awesome that it allowed me to taste the, I could, I feel maybe that had something to do with it because I wasn't flooded with so many senses, mm-hmm. but I've always thought of that. And it, it goes along with what we just read that you don't need all of the ex. It's not that you don't even need it, but it hinders the experience sometimes. The distractions, I think, is what I'm talking about. The distractions in life or in just society. Everyone's fighting for your attention. That's where the money comes from. They want your attention. They want to get in your head. They want that headspace. And it's simpler than that. And we have to protect ourselves because society really comes at us from all angles. They sneak in all kinds of things to put in our head. So it, I'm with... I'm with you, Oscar. I want to be in a tent meditating, <laughs> but <laughs> I have to take that piece with me into those crazy restaurants. I have to adapt where I am to the environment. And sometimes it is not, I can't do it. I just can't do the loud anymore. I used to seek it out, but I need peace and calm to protect my peace and calm. I'm very impressionable. So thank you for letting me share that. Thanks. Leave you. your cell phone in the car. Anything else, guys, before we close, been a good meeting. Thank you. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.